get the Jesus one done. And then today is basically the God looking at his attributes. And you can look at that uh, this week. And let me go back here. Whoops, right. Whoops, whoa, yeah. <clears throat> so the attributes of God. It was A.W. Tozer who made the statement that m the most important thing about us, uh, excuse me, I think I'm reading that wrong. They made the statement that most important thing about us is what comes into our minds when we ask the question, or when we're asked the question, what is God like? Probably wrote that down a little bit wrong, but. Then <laughs> the driving idea is that our view of God bears a determining influence upon what we value in life, how we react in circumstances, and ultimately how we live out our lives. In our gut level living and in our deep hearted perspective, what do we believe God to be like? Tozer made a spiritual surgeon's analysis that among the Christians, 10,000 sins, weights, and entanglements have their source in low, inaccurate, and unbiblical views of God. And so uh, in everything that we're doing, I like how just our, our how we react in our gut level living and you know, what we value in life, what our circumstances, um, how we react in circumstances in our deepest heart perspective, really it all has its, at its base, uh, what is our view of God? And it's probably unbiblical many times. As we study the attributes, we're not talking about just a part of God, but uh, a different glance at who God is in his basic nature. Um, God is love or God is just. It's not just a part of God. Part of God is love, but it's actually his nature. Daniel 11.32 says, um, the end of the verse, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And this was such a good study for me to do uh, today, looking at all the attributes, looking at the scriptures. Hey, Lauren, good to see you. There's dinner over there. Feel free to grab some. Um, so good for me to look afresh today at the attributes. I don't know if you guys have done a, an attribute study anytime recently, or even uh, I was tempted to tack on, you know, just a study of the names of God, you know, um, because uh, just what the Lord does when we fix our gaze on him and all of his different characteristics and qualities. Um, one problem, though, that keeps us from knowing God and that often causes us to fall into those 10,000 sins, weights, and entanglements and have that inaccurate, low, unbiblical view of God, a problem is we find it in Psalm 50, verse 21. He says, these things you've done and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you. <laughs> All right, and so often we we you know we have our attributes, and we think, well, God must be like this, and God must be like this, and it's like, no, God is is way different than we are, or those other things that we compare God to. Um, the reality is that we've all had influence that have shaped our view of God. Maybe it's our upbringing, uh, maybe it's even our relationships with our fathers. I was listening to Josh McDowell today, and he said, "Hey, he's your father, but he's not your old man." All right, don't, don't compare God to your old man. 
because uh, he's going to, uh, it's going to be a low, low view of your God. Um, or we'll compare God with other Christians or other leaders that have been in our lives. Um, perhaps we think of more of like a Darth Vader at times, or perhaps more of a Santa Claus God, or the, the police officer God, or something like that. Um, one of the reasons why we desperately need to be continually washed with the water of the word and renewed by the scriptures is that that way we're constantly shaped by a biblical reality of who God is. Uh, some of the ad- objectives and outcomes to studying God's attributes, uh, even tonight, Lord, give us an enlarged view of God that we might freshly surrender all my life to God. Uh, to have a hunger and a thirst to know God more. A great resource I'd encourage you to read is um, uh, A.W. Tozer's, um, just totally blanking right now. Let's see, A.W. Tozer's, Knowledge of the Holy would be a really good one along these lines. And then Pursuit of God, both of those books uh, by Tozer. Uh, Our study of the attributes of God falls in the middle of two great extremities. On one hand, the scripture testifies that God is incomprehensible. Uh, We can't know all there is to know about God this side of eternity. Um, We cannot have an exhaustive knowledge of God. But on the other hand, scriptures attest to the knowability of God. And God has revealed himself to us in, in the word and in son, as Hebrews chapter 1 tells us. Um, the knowability of God. He is a revealing God, revealing himself to us in creation, we see. It testifies of his majesty and in his uh, handiwork. He's shown us himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ and in the scriptures. It was Jesus who said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ uh, whom you have sent. And that which God has revealed about himself, we indeed can know and believe and embrace and enjoy. Um, these, uh, this list here coming up are what are called unshared, incommunicable attributes. All right? These are things that are, they belong to the Lord. These are his, his nature, not something shared with us. Uh, and the first one tonight we want to look at is he is eternal. He is eternal. You go clear back to Genesis 1-1 and you see that God was in the beginning. Uh, You can go backwards as far as you could even begin to imagine and God is there. Uh, God has never nor will he ever cease to exist. Okay, is that incredible (laughs) or what? Um, You know, uh, he'll always be, uh, he's always and will always exist in and of himself. He's eternal. We are not eternal, all right? in the sense that there was a point when we were not, all right? We have souls that are eternal. We're going to live forever with the Lord. Uh, Even those who aren't born again are going to live forever, but it's going to be a a deathly life. It's called the second death, all right? Um, But the Lord is the one who Psalm 90 verse 2 says, uh, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God everlasting. Uh, Nikki, why don't you read Genesis 21, 33? I'm going to involve you guys a little bit tonight in the reading. The everlasting God. 
God exists endlessly, both backwards and forwards. I like this. God sees the whole river. In the beginning, God created. Creation had a beginning, but God had no such beginning. God was there. God has never... Oh, it looks like I repeated it. Sorry about that. It felt new to me. <laughs> What's that? It needed some support. Yeah, totally. Happens, right? Um, God is not bound by limitations of time. He's able to see the whole picture because he's, as he calls himself in the book of Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So something that's beautiful and applicable for us concerning his attribute of eternality is that God, we can have confidence in the plans and purposes that God has for our lives. He knows the future. He has good plans. And I can rest in the eternality of God. And does not Jeremiah 29, 11 come to your mind? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans uh, to, uh, see if I can, I used to have it totally memorized. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. So he's eternal. And then the second number one, for some reason, <laughs> love Microsoft Word and its bullet points. Always faithful. Infinite. He's infinite. God has no bounds or limits. He is measureless. We are measured. John, will you read that 1 Kings 8, 27? Heaven and the heavens cannot contain you. He's limitless. He's infinite. And remember, with this attribute study, whatever God is, he is not in a compartment, or excuse me, he's not in a component part. He's not part eternal, part infinite, all right? Uh, in his whole and entire person, he is infinite. So each of God's attributes, he is both Ex, uh, eternal and infinite. For example, as we think about the goodness of God, we must resemble that God, remember that God is both eternally and infinitely good. He's always been good, he'll always be good, and he's infinitely good, all right? Uh, he is independent here, independent. Number two, the first number two, anyways. <laughs> God is independent of his creatures and creation. He doesn't need us. We need him. He is able to act and will according to how he himself chooses. He cannot lie, cannot be tempted to sin. God is not obligated to us in any way unless he himself chooses to initiate the obligation. Um, Blaine, will you read Isaiah 40, 13 through 14? So nobody needed to teach the Lord. He didn't need anybody to teach him. God doesn't need us. He's God. And yet we can glorify him and bring him joy and enjoy fellowship with him. 
Uh, he doesn't need us because he is complete and independent in and of himself. And yet he is outwardly oriented towards us in his great love for us, ultimately demonstrating his love and pursuit of us in Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins, that we might be brought into the richness of relationship with him. He doesn't need us, and yet he is far from indifferent toward us. Uh, thirdly, he is omniscient. God is all-knowing, omniscient. Omni is all science or science is knowing, omniscient. God is all-knowing. God knows all things. We're going to read Psalm 147 in just a second. In fact, Adam is going to. Uh, and then Lauren's going to read Psalm 139, 15 through 18. God is omniscient intimately in the application, just one application for us. He's intimately acquainted with our lives. He knows our deepest thoughts and struggles and dreams. He knows it, Josh McDowell said. He knows it. Why don't you read uh, the Psalm, Adam and Lauren? infinite <laughs> hey, hey i was testing myself actually <laughs> what's yours say lauren And how good is just a meditation on the attributes of God? I wish I would have brought um, a book. It's Tozer on leadership, and it's just a daily devotional reading. I was reminded of Barb and how you bring your devotions to prayer sometime, because the one I read, it was like, oh, Barb would love this one. But he talked about three days ago about just a leader in the church is one who just takes great satisfaction and pleasure in meditating on who God is. And isn't it good tonight? Think about all your struggles that you guys are going through, all right? Just all the stuff, all the wrestling through stuff and, you know, and just, oh, the Lord is thinking about you guys and he knows it all. You know, he knows it all. And I just love this um, in his omniscience, the one that Lauren read, you know, he's thinking about us. There's such a great sum of his thoughts towards us. He couldn't even write them down. There's more than the sand and the sea. It's just beautiful. It's wonderful. God's not surprised when a trial or time of hardship comes into our lives. God's omniscience also indicates that the sum of all human wisdom and intelligence is smaller than the mite on the hair on the flea on the hair of the tip of the tail of the dog. <laughs> He's smarter than us. He is the all-wise, all-knowing God. Oh, the depths and riches, as Romans 11.33 says. Why don't you read that, um, Leandra?
So uh, I was listening to Tim Keller a couple months ago, and he was talking about witnessing to an atheist, and uh, or yeah, I think atheist or agnostic or something. But uh, he said, um, "Do you think that you know one percent of all the knowledge in the world?" And the atheist said, "Let's see." One percent of all the knowledge that there ever could be to know in the world. No, I probably don't know one percent. Right, and so he kind of broke it down. Well, would you say you know, you know, uh, uh, a tenth of a percent? <laughs> you know, and then it went. No, I don't even think I know. Well, what would you say that you know a hundredth of a percent of all the knowledge that there's? No, no I don't. He says, okay, for conversation's sake, let's just say you know one percent of all the knowledge that there ever is to know in all the world. Don't you think that God exists somewhere in the other 99%? You know, um, like when we do this um, study on the attributes of God, he is so stinking big and vast and smart and wise. And like, you know, uh, at the end of Romans 11, Paul just got done doing a two- three-chapter discourse on the sovereignty of God and election and his salvific will. And at the end of it all, he goes, oh, the depths and riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And again, something, I think someone read it already, like who's taught the Lord? You know, nobody, the Lord, he, this is how big he is in his planning and in his, you know, sovereignty. And all. Gosh, guys, in your ministries and in your counseling, be careful that you don't let people get away with a small view of God, because they will. They will. They're going to they're gonna start doubting God, and he's not big enough, and he doesn't know what's going on. And guys, bring out the attributes of God, and don't let it be cliche, all right? Don't let it just be, oh yeah, you know, I know the Christian thing to say. It's like baloney, all right? Don't fall into disbelief by just letting familiarity with the attributes you know, become like a Nazarene symptom of, oh, isn't this the carpenter's son? And oh, yeah, it is. It's Jesus, man. Wake up, <laughs> you know. Uh, make sure that you allow people to come back to these attributes of God. Uh, he's omniscient. He's, he's so big. And, and some of these are his bigness, right? This next one is his, he is omnipresent. Omnipresent. which means he's everywhere. I have it written down, but I was, all the other ones start with all, so I was gonna say he's always here. <laughs> he's everywhere, <laughs> always here. He's everywhere. He's all around, right? Totally. God is everywhere present. No person can escape the bounds of God's presence. Do you think we try to do that? Yeah, we try to do that. No person can. You remember Jonah tried to do that. Don't try to play hide and seek with God. Jonah's the example of that. Application, the doctrine of God's omnipresence means that believer can experience fellowship with God and practice living and experiencing his presence no matter what situation, circumstance, or location in life that you're in. And the psalmist writes, you know, if I should take the wings of morning and dwell in the depths of the sea, even there your hands forever leading me. You know, like you can't escape the Lord. He's at the heights of the heights or he's down at the depths of the depths. You know, 
Um, nowadays, we've got the, the astronauts, you know, in a lot of these movies where they're like clear up in space and it's like, whoa, like, you know, never before has a person like been up in space and they can like commune with a God from outer space, but God can be there, right? He can be there in the midst of even that. He is omnipotent or omnipotent, which means he is all powerful. And Josh McDowell kind of was just breaking it down as I was listening to him today. And he just like, you know, omnipotent doesn't mean much to me. I have to kind of make it into a layman's phrase where he just says, he can do it. He can do it. Think about your trials and think about the trials of the people that you're ministering to. Don't let them get away from God's omnipotence, people. He can do it. He is called the almighty God in the scriptures, the El Shaddai. God's power is seen throughout the scriptures in creation, in sustaining things, in delivering Israel out of Egypt, and in raising Christ from the dead. Uh, Lindsay, why don't we just kind of go along this table here. Lindsay, Stephanie, Aaron, Paul, Cheryl. Upholding all things by the word of his power. It's talking about Jesus. Cheryl, you can take this Psalm 114. Barb, do you want to read 2 Corinthians 13, 4? We'll just go across the table here. That God is all-powerful provides us with great security, with genuine hope for a bodily resurrection, and with confidence for daily living. The omnipotence of God. God is all powerful. And let's read these references. The next attribute is he is immutable, immutable. 
means you cannot silence him. No, that's not what it means. <laughs> Get it? Immutable. Come on, Aaron. Give me something. Okay. <laughs> Immutable means God doesn't change. He is never changing. This doesn't mean that God doesn't respond to different situations or that he is somehow immobile. In fact, even in the scriptures, we see God changes his mind about something. But God doesn't grow or develop or learn. In Malachi 3.6 and James 1.7, we'll read that in a minute, immutability assures us that none of God's attributes will ever change. You don't have to worry um, what God will wake up on the wrong side of the bed in the morning. His character is constant and consistent. We can rely upon the immutable God of the Bible. Let's come back over here to you, Nikki, to Malachi. Oh, who oh, whoa. The quiet guy wants to talk now. Not even a shadow of turning. Immutability assures us that God's promises will not fail. God's immutability gives us stability in our relationship with him. I'm so fickle and subjected to mood swings, emotional highs and lows, irritability and rashness. But God is stable, consistent, immutable. He doesn't change. God's purpose will stand and his promises will not fail. Go ahead, John. Faithless. Blaine, you want to hit numbers there? Immutable. Now God is sovereign. His purpose will be established and he will accomplish all his good pleasure. What he begins, he brings to fruition because he is in total control. Psalm 135, 6. Lee, oh, Adam. Lee, Adam. Yeah. Um, Lord, son of man, that you should repent. Uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to check it. What repent is speaking of there, and if how the wording is used on like when he, you know. Right. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, let's let's check that out, huh? Um, I think one thing we're talking about in this is um, in the immutability his. Or let's see. Oh, yeah, because that was, we were looking at immutability at that time, right? Um, uh, the attributes of God are never changing is what one thing that we're really hammering on there. Um, who was this? Oh, that was Adam, the Psalm 135, yeah. For sovereign, God is sovereign.
Yeah. So those are the immutable attributes, non-shared. And then now we're looking at some that he's shared with us as we've been created in his image. And this is a, a study of the image of God um, that we're going to look at next time we're together. Next week, by the way, a good friend of mine and fellow laborer from the past, his name's Larry Lyon. He's going to come share with us. And he just got back from Brazil for a little time and uh, is sharing, or was at the missions conference down at Calvary Chapel. And he's going to come and share about missions things. But he's also uh, kindred to me in that we did a lot of practical, hardcore labor at the church together. So he's going to speak to you guys concerning missions and practical ministry type stuff. That's next week. Great guy. Yeah. You're going to stay with us. I guess you're going to miss him. You following me? I was like totally thinking for You really didn't seem excited. I was like, okay. Only a good old friend coming to speak to our school. Larry will be here. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I meant to meant to tell you, Nikki, we could get a slide made for that or an announcement because I'll invite the whole church to come, kind of hear hear him on Wednesday night next week. So, L Y O N, I think. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay, so getting into these shared shared ones. Uh, spiritual. God is spiritual. Uh, and we also have a spirit. John 4.24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Job 32.8, but there is a spirit in a man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. He is holy. God is both separated from all that is unclean and evil and is himself completely pure. God is said to be light and with him there is no darkness at all. He dwells in unapproachable light and clothes himself in light. In the great visions of God in scripture, we see that God's holiness is central to the worship of him in heaven where the seraphim and the living creatures are crying out, holy, holy, holy to one another. The holiness of God is the foundation for the entire book of Leviticus. Now to us, sometimes holiness is synonymous, synonymous with a drudgery-stricken, long-faced, no-fun killjoy or joy-kill. The Psalms declare that in his presence, though, is a fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the book of Hebrews, it says of Jesus that he's without sin, and he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his brethren, above all his brethren. And so in the scriptures, God's holiness is more properly equated with joy than it is with a false idea of drudgery or being downtrodden. 1 John 1 tells us because he's holy, we're to walk in the light as he is in the light and to be holy as he is holy. And 1 Peter 2, 9 through 
10 tell us the holiness of God is the basis for our calling as the people of God and that we as the people of God are called to be a chosen generation. Thirdly, righteous. God is absolutely just, speaks of just in all his ways. Um, This is absolutely necessary. Atonement is necessary because sin violates the essential just character of God. To satisfy God's just demands, sin must be atoned for. This stresses the attributes of God's justice. This does not contradict God's love. Both love and justice are essential. In fact, love and justice are shown at the cross. While justice demands that a penalty be paid, love explains why God is willing to pay the penalty himself. God is love, or omnibenevolent, all-loving. God is love. God is outwardly oriented in giving of himself in order to bring about good and blessing for others. It is God, it is who God is. God is love. Leander, will you read 1 John 4.10 and work our way across the table here? Propitiation. that (laughs) i know (laughs) um so god is love and he also calls us uh to be loving as well and to walk in love and we just went through the love chapter first corinthians 13 and we learned we can substitute the word jesus the name jesus for love because jesus is all of those things patient kind you know selfless uh non-rude or whatever, <laughs> however you'd say that. Um, and, uh, and he calls us to do that. In fact, First uh, Corinthians 14, one says, pursue love. Um, goodness, we read in the Psalms that surely the God of Israel is good. We read in Psalm 119 that you are good and do good. James says that every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Nikki, I think, was the one that just read that. David tells us that we can actually taste and see that the Lord is good. God wants us to taste of his goodness. God is truth. God is completely trustworthy and faithful. He cannot lie, and he is always reliable. We can rely upon the Bible because it is inspired by God who cannot lie. If we had enough time, I'd show a great video about just the truth of who God is. Um, Merciful. God demonstrates compassion and is merciful. When God passed by Moses upon Mount Sinai and proclaimed his name and his character to Moses, this was after the people of God had committed gross sin and worshiping the golden calf during the very time that God was giving Israel his holy law. And yet, amazingly, the very first thing that God says in proclaiming his own attributes to Moses is the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. 
We read in Ephesians 2, 4 through 8, that God is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. And it goes into how he took us out of a place of being dead in sin and trespasses and made us alive with God through Christ Jesus. It's through the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed uh, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He's called in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, the God of uh, God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of mercy. He himself said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We can apply this mercy to ourselves in times of tremendous need. We're exhorted in Hebrews 4.16 to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In times of pressing and crushing trials, we're reminded of the perseverance of Job and the intended end of the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Uh, Aaron, you want to read Micah 7.18? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights Long-suffering, God is patient and restrains his wrath. We're told over and over again in the Old Testament that God is slow to anger. In 2 Peter 3.9, we're told that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord is beautiful. Uh, Paul, will you read that one and then Cheryl following? Psalm 90:17. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let the, go for it. No, go for it. Your fame went out among the nations because of the evil for it was perfect. And my splendor which I have bestowed on you, so I like that. The the nation of Israel had the beauty, but it was perfect through the Lord's splendor. He makes things beautiful. Barb, do you want to read that? Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. He's gracious. God shows unmerited, unearned favor and generosity goodness to his people that don't deserve it. He bestows good gifts and blessings to his people. Uh, we're told in 1 Peter 5.10 that he is the God of all grace. It is who God is. He is gracious. He freely lavishes his goodness and favor upon us out of the abundance of his graciousness. We are saved by grace. Get this. We serve by grace. In the future, for ages to come, in eternity, we will marvel at the exceeding riches of God's grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Uh, these are all related to the fact that God is love. He's gracious, he's uh, long-suffering, he's merciful, he's jealous. When we speak of the jealousy of God, we're not speaking about illegitimate jealousy, which relates to envy or covetousness or selfishness, but rather a zealful care for what is lawfully yours, much as a husband would be jealous for his wife. 
And God is not passive or indifferent or apathetic toward his people. He is jealous for his people and for his own honor. Interesting to just remember that as you're sharing with people and calling them to follow hard after him, that God is jealous for their hearts. The legitimacy of your love and care for your spouse would be called into question if you didn't feel jealousy when another man or woman was competing for their devotion and affection. And God is jealous for his people and for his honor. We see the jealous concern of God standing behind the revelation of the Ten Commandments. We read in James 4, 5 that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. The spirit of God dwelling in the life of the believer is jealous for his people, for our devotion, for our friendship and affection. The eyes of God burn with a holy, jealous love for his people, and his eyes gaze with fiery, loving zeal upon the things in my life that I treasure more than God. And for the believer we see in scripture that as believers grow in relationship with God, that they begin to take on this jealous concern for others and they become jealous for the sake of Christ with godly jealousy for other believers in their lives who are going to other lovers and the troughs of the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and are forsaking Christ who's the fountain of living water. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, hit it, Will. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present to you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so may the Lord put in us that jealous heart for God's people. You know, just before I was coming here, a series of text messages among the elders of a brother that's, you know, just fallen back into giving his heart to another God. And just the, you can just, feel the fire of the elders just like, no, you know, they're just jealous for the Lord. Uh, desirable. God is the sum of all desirable qualities. There is no quality of excellence that would be desirable for God to have, which he does not already possess. And he in this way is complete and perfect in every way because God is the sum of all desirable qualities of all our desires all our desires find ultimate fulfillment in him. Both Christians and non-Christians can enjoy sharing in his attributes. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And as we're going to look at in two weeks, we're going to look at the doctrine of the Imago Dei and how man was created in the image of God. And, and even non-Christians uh, will have some of these non uh, or some of these shareable attributes seen in their life. But uh, we're going to go ahead and pray for you guys. Lord, um, just thanks for letting me come tonight and today to just study twice these passages and to get to worship you with all my friends here uh, for who you are, Lord. How great, how deep, how vast is the sum of all you are, Lord. And you are pure, you are just uh, righteous, Lord, you're loving, and Lord, we just desire you to just pour these things out on us, Lord, and we look to you in the, in the omniscience and in the omnipresence, and Lord, we just look to you in all these things, God, and we just marvel at who you are, and Lord, we know that you desire us not to just keep these treasures to ourselves, Lord, but to go out and, and declare it to uh, our friends in this church and in this world. Lord, all that's just been shared, Lord, in the discussion time, uh, just a lot of things that um, 
just good to think about and, and to spur one another on in, Lord. And we just pray that you, you would be the one doing that exhorting and encouragement in our life. Lord, we just uh, pray that you would make us ambassadors for you. As, as last week's chapter, the, uh, the incarnation of Christ and how, Lord, we're, you're, you're still, um, you're raised from the dead. Uh, Lord, you have um, a body, Lord, that's been raised from the dead, Lord. And so we just pray that you would just show us to be alive even, even today, Lord. And let us be part of being ambassadors to that living King. We just love you, Lord. It's, it's just uh, an offering of love that we would gather tonight. And we just pray for the people that couldn't be here. We just pray that you would uh, just encourage them. Uh, let them get their eyes on you tonight. If, anyone's or, if anyone is gone, just, just uh, they're, they're a bit on the burnt outside, Lord. Would you just refresh them and fix their gaze on you tonight, Lord. Just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.